All right, so today we are in Ephesians chapter 3. We finally finished Ephesians chapter 2, and so we'll start today in the beginning of chapter 3. And um, in Ephesians 3, we're going to fit the, uh, the chapter up into three sections. So three sections. And those three sections will be divided into um, one section will be called the calling, and that'll be verses 1 through 9. So verses 1 through 9, which is what we'll look at today, that'll be the title will be, or the theme will be the calling, Paul's calling into the mystery um, of the gospel. So that, that would be uh, the first section. And then the next section that we'll look at next week will be the purpose. And that is from 9b to 13. We may look also back at 8 as well, but that's the purpose, the purpose of the calling, the purpose of the mystery. And then finally, we'll look at the prayer which is verse 14 through 21. So you have the calling into the mystery, the purpose of the mystery, which leads Paul to go into prayer. So the calling, the purpose, and the prayer. And so that's how we'll split up Ephesians chapter three. So we start today with the calling. Paul's calling into the mystery of Christ, his calling to the Gentiles, where he details some of that. So that's what we'll look at today, Ephesians chapter three verses one through nine. So let me read that and we'll go forward. So the word of God reads Ephesians chapter three, verse one, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. I refer to this when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of man, as it has now been revealed to his, to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, italicized, added, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I'm just going to keep reading. Seven. Verse 7, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages had been hidden in God who created all things. Keep going. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. I'll stop right there. Through faith in him. Let's just pray again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, God. I pray that you reveal truth, Lord God. Even things that I haven't seen, God, bring it to mind, Lord. Uh, bring uh, revelation and understanding to the minds of my brothers and sisters, God, as we go over your word, Lord, correct us, encourage us, strengthen us by your word, Lord, God, bring us into your glory, help us to see you, God, through your scripture, Lord, God, your great wisdom, Lord, that goes beyond all understanding, it's you, God, we want, it's you, we glorify, God, it is you who we are seeking, God, we open our word to find more of you, God, because it is you that our soul longs for, have your way, Lord God, in today's message, Lord. Glorify your name through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in chapter three here, let me stand up. 
So at the beginning of chapter three here, Paul starts off by saying, for this reason, I, Paul, this is the calling, right? This is our section about the calling, Paul's calling. But he starts off chapter three here by saying, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, we, our Bible study students, you know, when a scripture starts off with, for this reason, or therefore, it's referring what? Back to something that Paul had previously mentioned that's explaining what he's about to say. So Paul says, for this reason, so this, for this reason is everything Paul just explained to us in chapter two. He's now saying, what I just explained to you in chapter two is giving you the motive for what I'm about to say to you here in, in chapter three. And so what did Paul just explain to us in chapter two? Well, in chapter two, he explained to us, he showed the Ephesians that they were dead in sins, right? Enslaved to their lust, that they were controlled by the prince of the power of the air, but by God's grace, Coming to them through Jesus Christ, they were made alive with Christ. They were made brand new creatures, and God gave them these good works to accomplish. Not only that, he, he told these, these Gentile Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2 that they were once separated from God, that they were strangers to the covenants and promises, and they had no hope. But now they have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Not only have they been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, he explained, but he explains also in chapter two that they have been reconciled to each other, Jew and Gentile, so that there would be no hostility among them. He, he tells these Ephesians that through the gospel, they are citizens of the saints, that they are now of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so what Paul is saying, therefore, because of the glory of this news, because of the glory of the gospel, and God's calling on my life to, to share with you and other Gentiles, he starts verse 3 by saying, I am a prisoner of the, of the Lord Christ Jesus. See, the reason he says I am a prisoner is it's more of a play on words here because, see, the book of Ephesians is considered to be a prison epistle. It's considered to be a prison epistle, meaning that Paul wrote the letter as a prisoner of Rome. See, as Paul would go throughout the Roman world sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, telling them to repent and that there's only one true God and that there's one true judge that they will stand before, he would often cause a storm as he would. He would often ruffle up feathers as he would go from city to city. So for example, in, in, in Ephesus, Acts 19, Paul's ministry, him sharing the gospel, basically triggers a riot in the city, for example, just by him sharing the gospel. And we also find it in other places, for example, like in Acts 14, he is stoned by the, by the, um, the residents there. He's stoned and he's left for dead, all behind the teaching of the gospel. And now here in this letter of the, to the Ephesians, he finds himself in prison or in jail for trying to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. See, wherever Paul seems to go, danger seems to follow him. And, and one thing, you can kind of look at Paul, you can look at a situation and you can say, man, I kind of feel bad for the apostle Paul because everywhere he goes sharing the gospel, all of these bad or unfortunate things is, is happening to him, even though he's doing the work of the Lord. And, and you can look at Paul's situation and you can get discouraged or even lose heart as you begin to see Paul and you feel bad for him. And a matter of fact, this is actually what Paul anticipates in this letter. He anticipates that the Ephesians will actually begin to feel some sympathy for him behind all of the trials and tribulations that he's facing on their behalf 
the reason that he's even in jail now because he's going to the Gentiles and he's causing a storm and that is therefore has landed him in prison. So, so Paul, even in writing this letter, he's anticipating the Ephesians feeling some type of sympathy for him as being his prisoner of Christ, as writing this letter to them while he is bound in chains. And we know that he was anticipating the sympathy that the Ephesians will feel bad for him by what he says in verse 13 of this same letter. Look at verse 13, what he says in the same letter, in this anticipation of this sympathy that, that these Ephesians would feel, knowing that he is a prisoner of the state on their behalf for sharing the gospel. He says this in verse 13, in the same chapter. He says, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. So that's, that's, that's what the beginning of, of chapter three, verse one, is ending there in 13 by him saying, do not lose heart at my tribulations that I'm going through for you, but I'm doing this on behalf of you for your glory. So in other words, what Paul is saying in that text is, church, don't cry for me. Ephesians, don't be discouraged that I'm suffering for you to get this gospel to you, to, to tell you of the glorious riches of Christ so that you can know the, the glory and the good news. The, the, I'm, I'm doing this so that you can know that you are now citizens of the saints through Jesus Christ, that you've become the, part of the household of God. So, so don't lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf and what I'm suffering for you. Again, he, he's telling these Ephesians to, to not lose heart and his tribulations on their behalf because he's doing it for their glory, for their glory. When I read that, what he says there in 13, I just say, man, I wish that we could look at our tribulations like the spirit allowed Paul to. See, Paul was more concerned about the glory of God and the glory that would come to these Gentiles more than his concern for jail time or the tribulation that would follow. And by the grace of God, Paul, matter of fact, even learned how to turn something that the world would view as negative, like his imprisonment and being an inmate, into something that is God-glorifying and positive. Why do I say that? Look at 3.1 in Ephesians. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He, he says it again, matter of fact, in Ephesians 4.1. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. See, while Paul was a prisoner of the state, at the time when he's writing this letter, he's truly a prisoner of the state. He's a prisoner of Rome, technically. But guess what? Paul did not see himself that way. So even though technically he was a prisoner of the state, a prisoner of Rome, Paul did not see himself that way. He seen himself as a prisoner for Christ, meaning that he was there in prison out of obedience to Christ. See, see, Paul right there is even managing to make being a prisoner cool. He, he's taking what the enemy is throwing at him for going and sharing the gospel and flipping on his, on his head and saying, yes, I am a prisoner of the state, but guess what? I'm truly a prisoner of Christ. So he's, he's acknowledging that the reason that he is there is out of obedience to Christ. I am Christ's prisoner. So, so even with this term, Paul is making this term that the world would see as such a bad thing, being a prisoner. He's flipping it on his head and saying, no, I'm a prisoner, but I'm a prisoner of Christ. So he's turned it into a, a good thing, just like he does with, in his other letters. For example, in Philippians 1 and, and Romans, he calls himself a bondservant of the Lord, a bondservant of Christ. See, that is a term of endurement that, guess what, nobody in the first century world would go around bragging that they are someone's bondservant. See, nobody would go around in the first century world bragging that they are a prisoner of somebody. 
But Paul does. He, he flips the things that the world seen as negative and he flips it around and points to God's glory. And so that's what he's doing here. He says, I am a prisoner of Christ. Even though he is a prisoner of the state, he does not acknowledge that. And he says, my imprisonment here is for the sake of the gospel. I am a prisoner of Christ. I'm giving up all of my freedom for the sake of Jesus. And that's really what he's doing here in verse one. He's, he's flipping the things on his head. You see him even do this again in Ephesians chapter 6, for example, where he calls himself, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, he calls himself an ambassador in chains. He says, yes, I am in chains. Yes, am I, yes, I am in prison. But guess what? I'm an ambassador for Christ in chains. See, I'm not just in chains by the state, but I'm an ambassador for Christ in chains. Yes, I'm a prisoner, but guess what? I'm a prisoner for Christ. So all the things that the enemy is throwing at him for his ministry, he's flipping it on his head and he's learning to glorify God in it, in this call. And that's a beautiful thing, brothers and sisters. What if we can do that? What if we, by the grace of God, can approach our trials and our tribulations just like the apostle did and look for the glory of God in them? Guess what? We can. We can do it. And as we will learn from Paul in these coming verses that we'll look at, it's going to start with us, one, knowing our calling or the purpose of our calling and the mission and purpose of that calling. So we're going to start with, one, knowing our calling and the mission of that calling. That will help us to be able to look at our trials and tribulation and see the glory of God in it. Because that was one thing that Paul knew. He knew his calling, he knew his purpose, and he knew his mission. So whatever trials that, he, that came his way, he would approach it all through that lens, looking for the glory of God. So let's dig more into Paul's calling here in Ephesians chapter 3 to see what else we can learn. So we see also here in Ephesians 3 that Paul identifies his calling as a type of stewardship. Verse 2 of Ephesians 3, he says, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Now, we know something about stewardship, right? A stewardship means that you are managing something for the benefit of another. It's not yours. You're, you're managing an action. You're managing some, some land. You're managing property for the sake of someone else. And you're called a steward when you do that thing. So that, that is what a steward is. You're managing something for the benefit or for the sake of someone else. And so Paul says here in, in chapter 2 or chapter 3, verse 2, that he is a steward of God's grace, which was given to him. We, we also are aware of stewardship, for example, or what a steward is. Um, and looking at what Jesus talked about in Matthew 16, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 16. In Luke 16, Jesus talks about the unjust steward. You can go ahead and read that on your own time, but there you'll find Jesus talking about the unjust steward. Now, let's get back to Paul. What did, what did Paul steward? What did he manage? What was he called to steward and manage? Well, verse 3 tells us that it was a revelation. It was a revelation into the mystery of Christ. And it was, this, it was this mystery that Paul says that was hidden with God that no one else knew. And now at the right time, God has made it known by his spirit to the New Testament apostles and prophets. And what is that mystery that was hidden with God from the foundation of the world? What is that mystery that nobody else knew? That mystery is, look at verse 6, to be specific, he says that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promises 
in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery Paul is saying that has been hidden with God from the foundation of the world that no one else knew, but it's only right now at this time where God has made this revealed, he has made this known by his Holy Spirit through to, um, to his New Testament apostles and prophets. He said, this is the grand uh, mystery that no one else knew. Now think about the weight of this revelation. I, I really want you to think about what Paul is saying here. Just really, really think about the, the weight of this revelation. In verse five, he says this. He said, talking about the mystery, he says, which is a mystery that in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his Holy Spirit, um, to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. Think about the weight of this revelation. Think about who all came before Paul. Just go back to the Old Testament. Before there ever was a Paul, there was an Isaiah, there was a Micah, you had greats like Jeremiah, you had greats like Nehemiah, you had Elijah. And from the Old Testament prophets, you can move to many of the great Jewish rabbis like Gamaliel. You had all of these great men and even women of God. But guess what? God did not reveal it to them. He kept it hidden with himself. And now he's revealing it to his New Testament apostles and prophets, prophets through the Spirit. Do you see the weight of that that Paul has to carry? Do you see the, the weight of this revelation? I mean, think about it. All of these people, God could have revealed this truth to all of these great Old Testament prophets, all of these great Old Testament speakers. He could have revealed that truth to, but God kept that truth of the mystery of the Gentiles being fellow heirs with all of the, with all of the Jews and becoming of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ. He kept that with himself hidden from the foundation of the world, which one tells you that. The fall of Adam and the sinning of Jesus, this was not just a surprise or the spare of the moment that God had to figure out what to do, but this was something that was hidden with God from the foundation of the world before there was ever a universe. There was already a plan of Christ coming through, saving and redeeming and making humanity one in him. But think about that. God skipped over all of those great people and has now revealed it to Paul and all of the other New Testament prophets. See, right there, that is a heavy weight of revelation. I mean, can, can you feel the weight of this calling? If you can, guess what Paul does? Paul feels the weight of this calling. And, and we know he does by looking at verse 8. In verse 8, look what he says about himself. He says, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. See, Paul feels the weight of his unworthiness of his calling this unworthiness that God has given him to go forward and preach this mystery, which nobody knew. He feels the weight. He understands that he is so unworthy. That's why we have verses like 1 Timothy 1.15, where he calls himself the chief of sinners. See, see it, Paul understands the weight. He sees his unworthiness. He knows that he's not worthy to, to receive this revelation and this calling. So brothers and sisters, when we're reading our Bibles and we're seeing Paul and Paul battle these Pharisees and getting stoned and beating, you must understand that Paul understands that he is not able to do this, but this is only by the grace of God that he has been given this revelation. And it's only by the grace of God that he's, that he's doing anything for the sake of Jesus' name. See, see, Paul understands that weight. He feels the unworthiness. 
And the major reason I'm pointing this out to you, brothers and sisters, is because I want you to know that that feeling of unworthiness that you feel when God calls you to do something great for his name, guess what? That is normal. In many ways, really, it's a good thing that we have this, this unworthiness feeling because we know that the call that God has upon our life, the call that he has given us to go do something is so great and we feel like we can't do it in, him, in ourselves. So that unworthiness feeling that Paul feels, that many of the greats who God has called felt, just like we see with, with Moses, where he begins to make excuses and look all to his insecurities because of the greatness of the call. Guess what? That is quite normal, my brothers and sisters. That's why you feel that way oftentimes when God calls you to go do something great in his name. You feel so unworthy because you, you know you. It, it makes me think of my own self. There's times, brothers and sisters, when I'm doing my sermon prep, and I ask God, and I, I say that, I feel like every week I ask God the same thing. I say, God, why are you used to me? I'm like, God, why are you even allowing them to listen to me? Why are they even hearing me? <laughs> See, whenever God calls you to, to do something, that, that is often the feeling. It's, it's just unworthiness feeling. That this, it, 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 that's normal, my brothers and sisters, because you realize the, the weight of the calling. You realize the weight of the responsibility so whether it's you just leading a person in a Bible study, helping them know the Lord, yes, we feel this unworthiness, like, God, I shouldn't be leading this person. There are so, much, so many better people than I who can do this much better than I. We, we say that because we understand who we were. We understand our past. We know our heart. And we feel so unworthy. But as Paul tells us in that verse, verse 8, he says, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. So Paul said, it was grace that was given to me. He acknowledges basically that there's nothing good inside of him that's making him deserving of receiving this revelation that was hidden with God from the foundation of the world. Think about it. That mystery went from God and it leapfrogged all of the Old Testament prophets and mighty men and women of God. And it landed on Paul and the other New Testament prophets. He realized that it was only of grace that God has given me this revelation, that God has come to me. It is not nothing good inside of me. And that was, that's what we must also say, my brothers and sisters. God calls us to go forward in his name, to do things great. There's nothing good inside of us, special that I'm standing here preaching. There's nothing good like that. It is, it is only by God's grace that he's working in me, that he's working in you in whatever calling, whatever God is calling you to, understand that whatever success that you have, it'll all be by God's grace. So that's the weightiness of this mystery that Paul has, has, has received. Now let's dig into the mystery itself, right? The, the mystery of this revelation. Verse six says, the mystery is again that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, us reading this almost 2,000 years later, it's like, yes, yeah, that, that's the gospel, right? Yes, Jews and Gentiles can become part of God's household through the gospel. But that's us reading this 2,000 years later. To really understand this text here, you really have to put yourself in the place of a first century Jew. See, the Gentiles through the first century Jew, and we've looked at this in the past, they were seen, remember, unclean. Gentiles were unclean. Gentiles were dirty. 
Remember, the Jews did not even want to eat with a Gentile. They had no relationship. Gentiles were not allowed in the temple. They didn't want to be nowhere around Gentiles. So from a Jewish perspective, the Gentiles were the one that God was actually coming to judge. They would be the ones who would, who would receive the brunt of God's wrath because these Gentiles were idolatrous. They were immoral. They did not obey the law. But now to the gospel, you're saying that these people will not only escape the wrath of God, but they have now become fellow heirs with true Israel. See, see that, is, that is unknown. That is wild to a first century Jew. Now these Gentiles will inherit eternal life outside of the works of the law, which Israel has been practicing for a thousand plus years. See, that was unknown to a first century Jew. That, that, that's a wild, outlandish, crazy idea that, that Gentiles will inherit the kingdom of God outside of being circumcised, which the nation has practiced for hundreds or thousands of years or a thousand plus years. That is strange, that is wild, that is unknown, that is unfathomable, that, that Gentiles will inherit eternal life without strict observance of the ceremonial aspects of the law. That's crazy. See, a, a first century Orthodox Jew could never imagine that a Gentile would share in their Messiah and have such a oneness with other Jews that the intimate language of being one body would be used to describe their relationship. Because that's what Paul says here, that they will be fellow members of the body. She would never say that I would ever have this type of intimate relationship with a Gentile. And that the Gentiles would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. No, that was not for Gentiles to a first century Jew. That is for Israel. Israel was the one who's going to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Israel is the one who's going to receive eternal life. The Gentiles, they were the ones who were going to receive God's wrath. They were the immoral ones. But now through the gospel, you're saying that Gentiles are inheritors? See, no one knew this. This was the mystery. Now, sure, there were hints of the Gentiles being a part of, the, of God's household all throughout the Old Testament. Sure, there were hints. You can go all throughout Isaiah and you can see that. But that revelation was not clear. And as Peter states in 1 Peter 1, Many times the prophets, when they would prophesy, they didn't even fully understand what they were prophesying. So this, my brothers and sisters, this is the revelation that Paul and the other apostles and prophets were called to steward. This is what they were called to steward. And guess what? They steward this revelation very, very well. But now, what about you? What about us? Here's the question. How are we stewarding the revelation of the gospel? See, the only reason we are saved right now is because God opened up our dead and dark hearts and gave us the revelation of Jesus Christ. The apostle tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We've all been given the revelation. So the question is, brothers and sisters, what are you doing with it? How are you stewarding this revelation that God has given you about Jesus and the promises in him and the inheritance that we have in him? How is this impacting your life? See, part of our purpose on this earth is to tell people what God has done through Jesus, which means that when it comes to my trials and tribulations, 
we stare at them through a gospel lens. See, we, we say, how does this trial work into the purpose that you have for me to tell the world of your glory in the gospel, God? See, because we have this call. See, remember that I said in the beginning how Paul's understanding of his call affected how he viewed his tribulation? Paul, being a prisoner, was able to turn his tribulation into the saying that I'm not just a prisoner of the state, but I am a prisoner of Christ. It's the same thing with us. Knowing that we are called to share the mystery of Christ, we should be able to look at our trials and say, how am I called to be an ambassador of Christ here in the midst of this trial and tribulation? Not only in word, but also in deed. How am I called to be this ambassador here? That's part of our call as well, to be ambassadors for Christ. See, we all have this general calling to share the mystery of Christ to the world, the mystery of the gospel, how God has died for our sins, how we were separated sinners from God, dead, not alive, having no life within us, that there was no relationship with God at all. But now, through Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled to God. Now we have become children of God. Now we have become heirs of the kingdom of God. Now we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. See, these are things we want to let people know that this is available to them. You don't have to remain an enemy of the cross. You don't have to remain an enemy of God. You can be reconciled and be a friend of God. It's all part of the mystery of the gospel. to share with the world. That's part of our calling. If you always wanted to know what is your calling or purpose, that's one of them. And the minimum, that's one of them. You're called to share this mystery of Christ, share the mystery of the gospel. We're not only called to use our callings for the world to tell them of the gospel, church, but we also have a calling to the church itself. I want to read you something, Ephesians 4.8. This is what the Holy Spirit says here about our, our gifts and callings. It's talking about Christ here. It says this, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, talking about Jesus, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. It's talking about Christ, that when he ascended on high, he also passed down these gifts to men. He gave these gifts to the church. And in verse 11, we learned that these gifts that he passed down were apostles, gave some gift to people, called people to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You can hyphenate pastor and teacher if you want. I'm not going to get into that debate. You can separate it. Just not really going there. But this is some of us here. Some of us here, God has called you to be a teacher. He's gifted you in that area. He's gifted you in that area of speaking question is, how are you stewarding this gift, my brothers and sisters? And it's not just a traditional way of teaching. I know we think when we think of, has God gifted me in teaching, it's just, do I stand in front of a pulpit and preach? But no, there's different forms of teaching. In the Greek, there's different words for preaching. There's different levels of preaching. There's one, there's the formal preaching in the sermon, but you have other types of preaching like that would be the equivalent of a podcast. That's another form of teaching. Or YouTube, or maybe writing a fictional book that speaks to the gospel are writing, are starting a blog. Those are all teaching gifts that God has given his church. The question is, how are you stewarding these gifts? Are you stewarding them well? Are you using them to the glory of God? How are you using these gifts? The other thing I want to make you aware of, if, if, you, if you're not, 
that God's gifts and his callings, the stewardships, I want to remind you that they often come with suffering and trials and tribulation. Paul is a perfect example of that. And Paul's writing this letter as an inmate, as a prison. Um, history says that he was on house arrest. Writing this letter to the Ephesians. Paul being called to go share the gospel. Guess what? Paul didn't have a family. He didn't have a wife. His whole life was dedicated to this calling that God had upon his life. The stewardship of God's calling, guess what? They can come at a cost sometimes, brothers and sisters. And you have to know this going into that. I'll give you a perfect example of me. Um, there are times, brothers and sisters, when I've worked all week, really haven't seen my family. And then Saturday comes and I'm spending all day working on a sermon. And while I'm working on the sermon, I can hear next door to me, my family laughing, right? And having a good time. And I haven't really seen them most of the week. And I'm like, oh, I want to be in there with them. I want to be in there enjoying that time with them. But then I have to step back and realize, what is the calling upon my life? What gift God has given me to steward? He's given me this gift to speak his word. And I'm going to steward it well. And it will come at a cost. It will come at an inconvenience. But what is most important is that I do what God has called me to do. Steward his gift. Tell his truth. Speak his word and love his church. Love his sheep. So the, the gifts that God gives us, you must understand they do come at a cost. It will require sacrifice. But if we have the perspective as Paul did, a perspective of understanding our calling, and knowing the purpose of this calling or the mission of this calling, which I'll get to next week, which is, I'll give you a hint, it's the glory of God. It helps us to go through it. It helps me to go through it. That, ah, God has given me this calling for his glory. That takes precedent over everything else, even my family. So brothers and sisters, God has gave Paul a call. He gave him knowledge to this mystery. That was hidden from generations. He gave him this weighty revelation that nobody else knew, and he walked in it. You and I, we also have an understanding of this revelation. God opened our eyes to see Jesus. We're also responsible to steward it well. We're also called to go and share God's truth to the world, tell them about the unfathomable riches of Christ. Really ask yourself Am I stewarding this calling well? And not just a calling of evangelism, but I'm, am I stewarding the gifts and ability that God has given me for his, his namesake will? How am I doing that? Examine yourself, my brothers and sisters. Make this of, of the utmost important. Take time alone. Think about, am, am I staying faithful to the gifts and ability that God has given me? Am I truly walking in those? Because if, if you look at all the parables of the stewards, guess what? The stewards ultimately have to give an account before God. Brothers and sisters, you are going to have to give an account before God of the gifts and the, the abilities that he has given you. What he's called you to steward, you will stand before God. How are you stewarding what he's giving you? How are you stewarding the calling upon your life? We will stand before God. We will stand before the judge. I want you to be able to say that I stewarded well, that I have truly run my race. See, the apostle says at the end of his life, 
He knows it's a crown laid up for him because he stayed faithful to the call upon God, the call of God upon his life. So examine yourself, brothers and sisters. This is the calling we see of Paul's life and the calling upon our life. Let us pray here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your truth, God. We thank you for your revelation in the light of the gospel. We thank you for revealing it and keeping it with yourself into the right time, Lord God. Thank you for opening our eyes to see it, Lord God. Thank you for giving us the call to go forward and share it, Lord God. Thank you for the other gifts and talents that you have given us for your church, for the edifying of the body, Lord. God, help us to walk in it for your namesake, for your glory's sake, Lord God. That you may receive more glory, that you may be lifted up on high. We love you, Lord. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.